0: Well, this morning, as we come to a time of opening up God's Word, we have a uh, very special treat. We actually have a guest, a guest uh, preacher here this morning. Uh, he's uh, in ministry down in Tuggeranong, Tuggeranong Presbyterian Church. Dave Brooks is his name. Uh, I know that he's really connected well with Andrew and Ali, which I think he'll share a little bit about as he, as he brings the word today. But in the opportunity and the privilege I've had to connect with him a little bit of late, uh, just found him to be just a Jesus-loving, godly, gracious, uh, genuine man. And uh, so it's our our privilege to welcome him this morning. Can we do that together? Dave Brooks, everyone. Well, welcome. And I thought maybe I'd just ask a couple of questions just so that we can kind of get to know you a little bit, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, that's that's fine. Good morning, Vision Church. It's a great privilege for me to be here.
0: Well, it's a privilege to have you here. Now, I wanted to just ask, can you tell us a little bit about... Yourself, your, your family, and ministry uh, down, down at, at Togonong Presbyterian.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've uh, been in ministry now full-time for about eight years. So I kind of feel like I went from my L plates, probably got my P plates on now, don't have the full license yet, so still a work in progress. Um, but it's a great privilege to be part of a church, to be a full-time servant of God, Um, I'm I'm a husband, been married for 16 years to Charmaine. I think some of you work with Charmaine Brooks at Trinity Christian School. Uh, So if you do, when she dropped me off this morning, she said, please don't say anything that will embarrass me. (laughs) All right. So you're my witness. You can let her know how I did uh, in a little bit. But uh, yep, so married uh, and three beautiful girls, uh, two 14-year-olds, so we have twins. And uh, we have a 12 year old who thinks she's 14.
0: <laughs> what a blessing. What a blessing. I'm sure you and Andrew would be able to c- compare notes a little bit with Amen. teenage girls coming through. Yeah,
1: yeah that's it. Yeah. I go to him for all my notes. <laughs> okay, okay.
0: That's good to know. That's good to know. Hey, um, just quickly, are you Canberra born
1: and raised? Are you from elsewhere? So I'm originally a Sydney cider. Uh, don't hold that against me. Uh, so I studied at Bible College in Sydney, was trained in Sydney, and one of the things they get you to do is be a pastor of a church while you're being trained uh, in a regional area. So that's how I came to know uh, the church down south. Uh, so I'm originally from Sydney. My wife, she was from Nara, moved to Sydney uh, to go to uni, and, and that's where we met. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Just a couple more questions, if that's all right. A couple of quickfire ones. Very important stuff. Tea or coffee?
1: What's your preference? Coffee. Coffee? Okay. I, okay. <laughs> a few fans here. I've actually been rebuked by members of my congregation because whenever we've got social events, I tend to always say coffee and omit tea. Oh, okay. So they feel a little hard done by at our church. Okay. So my apologies to the tea drinkers.
0: <laughs> well, coffee's good. You're welcome to have a coffee afterwards. Um, <laughs> beach or snow?
1: Oh, it's a tough one. When I lived in Sydney, it was snow. Now that I live in Canberra, it's beach. Okay, nice, nice. That's the way.
0: Very good. Very important question, this one. Cricket or football?
1: What type of football?
0: I will say AFL.
1: AFL. Probably go cricket.
0: That's good. You're welcome to preach now. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Tell me this, are you a J.R.R. Tolkien man or C.S. Lewis? Uh, Am I allowed to say both? Both, that's totally fine, that's totally fine. Uh, And finally, in terms of cuisine, Italian cuisine or Indian cuisine? What would you choose?
1: Can I say both again? Ah, Okay, (laughs) there you go.
0: That's totally fine, I would probably say both as well. So there you go, so uh, great to know a little bit about you. So, okay, if I pray for you, and Thanks, then I'll let you, let you loose to bring the word this morning. <laughs> so, Father, I want to just thank you so much for Dave. I thank you for his willingness to come along this morning to um, minister, to invest in our church community. Lord, I pray uh, that your abundant blessing upon him, upon his family, upon his church and ministry, Lord God, uh, that they would just uh, you would continue to be at work, Lord, in the church community there, to to be a light, to bring the gospel of Jesus, Lord, to the the, the community that you've planted him in, Lord God. And Lord, as he just brings the word this morning, I pray that uh, he would just uh, feel really welcome here, Lord, that hearts would be open to hear what you would have to say to us this morning through Dave. Lead him by your spirit, I pray, encourage his heart, and uh, we just pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all things this morning. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Thanks for the prayer, brother. And thanks again to everyone here uh, for having me today. And just before we get into God's word, just wanted to uh, share with you all a story. Uh, and it was a story of um, a time that I argued with God. And uh, it happened, of all places, courtside, beside a netball court when I was watching our girls play. uh, Do we have any other netball families in the house? There we go. Or uh, anyone else that has to head out early on a Saturday morning to watch their kids play sport on a Canberra winter? Uh, If you do, you'd know just how cold uh, those mornings can be. And this happens uh, on this day, morning like this, uh, their courtside watching our girls play. And I noticed, uh, as as I was, that there was another guy sort of standing midway down the court, also watching the game uh, by himself. And the moment I, he just sort of caught my attention in my gaze, I felt this really uh, strong conviction by the Holy Spirit to go up and talk to him. And now I confess uh, that even though I felt that conviction, I paused for a moment and thought, and then I foolishly said no. Ever said no to the Holy Spirit? Uh, I, don't remember, I don't recommend you do. I'm pretty sure it's sinful. Uh, but I confess to my brothers and sisters that this is what I sinfully did that morning. I said no to God because not only was it a cold morning and I'd already managed to like bags the sunny spot and was already warm... <laughs> Uh, it was also my day off, and I just felt God in my sin. I felt I've been talking to people uh, six days this week already as part of my role. So please just give me this one day, this one morning off. But the Holy Spirit just kept saying to me the same thing I want you to go and talk to Him. And by this point, uh, I was feeling pretty uh, convicted, quite disobedient, and sinful. And so I did. I went up, I I literally sort of dragged my feet as I went and talked to him uh, like this. And uh, even though he looked a little mysterious because he was wearing a hood there and he was sort of standing by himself, when I struck up a conversation, he did seem pleasant enough. And uh, after we'd been talking a little while, he asked that uh, timeless question, ''What do I do for a living?'' And it's, you know, it's a curious question when you're in ministry, amen, when people ask that. And I said to him, well, uh, I'm actually a pastor. And that was when, without even flinching, that he said, me too. (laughs) It's the only time I think I've ever had that back, other than maybe at a Christian conference. And I was like, no way, get out of town. Like, which church? He said, Vision Church. Turns out his name is Andrew Baker. I believe most of you guys have probably met him before. And ever since that moment, uh, he's been a really dear brother in the Lord to me as we catch up regularly. And not just Andrew, but also uh, Ali, Annie, Rachel, uh, Bethany, and Lily as well. Not just to me, but to my family. So what were the two things that I learned that morning? Number one, don't argue with the Holy Spirit. Because not only is it sinful to do that, but you just never know what blessings await you when you obey our awesome God. And number two was got to get down to vision at some point, though I do confess I didn't think it would be up front. I thought I'd be in the back row, uh, a little more sort of hidden. But seeing as I'm up here, it is a great privilege, and I'll try not to break anything while I'm here. So, yep. Yeah. Well, I've been asked to encourage you all uh, from opening up God's Word, which is why I'm going to do that, opening it up by talking to you about a favorite topic of mine, and chances are it's also a favorite topic of yours because it is one of the very few things in life that we can never have too much of, and that is joy. Joy. And joy is a word uh, we tend to throw around a lot, especially in Christian circles. But if you're anything like me, you may not have given it, given it a whole lot of thought. And so here's where we're headed with today's talk. We may have a talk outline up on the screen. If not, I'll step you through it. Um, first of all, we're going to open up the Bible to try and define joy so we can get a better idea of what it is that we're actually dealing with. And then we're going to look at why we need it, why we need to have joy, why it is necessary and not an optional extra when it comes to the Christian faith, which will hopefully chime in quite nicely with Adam's current series on Christian living. Then we'll consider what it has to do with the birth of Jesus. And finally, how to be joy-filled particularly how to find joy if we have lost it somewhere along the way. And so with the help of God's Word and the Holy Spirit, my job is to try and ensure every one of us doesn't just have a better understanding of joy, but to also be joy-filled as we leave here. And being a topical sermon, I'm going to do what I like to call Go Coast to Coast. Uh, I'm going to use Bible verses from right across Scripture, but I've chosen uh, for our reading today to read the first half of Luke chapter 2, for it has as much to say about joy as any chapter of the Bible. And so let me read Luke 2 now from the ESV, and then I'll pray as we get into it. So I'll read Luke 2, verses 1 through 21 from the ESV, or English Standard Version. And so, Vision Church, uh, hear the word of your awesome God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own, and own town, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there... for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we... Come to your word now. We want to just praise you for the reality of joy. And along with uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, we pray that you would fill us with all joy here this morning at vision. Especially those of us, Lord, who have been struggling recently as we spend time considering this joyful thing of being in a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, this now brings me to my first point, what even is joy? What's the biblical definition or what picture does God give for what joy is? And while joy is that feeling of sheer delight, it is kind of like happiness but at a much deeper level, because it can come from circumstances, but isn't dependent on circumstances. And the Bible tells us joy can come from circumstances the whole way through. Uh, For instance, if not all right, there we go, we can put up on the screen from circumstances list. I've got some examples for you here of how it comes from circumstances, for example, from David are having victory over the Philistines in 1 Samuel 18, or Solomon being coronated, which seems to be a thing in the last 24 hours, in 1 Kings. Joy also comes from being in God's presence in Psalm 16, having righteous kids in Proverbs chapter 23, or being able to cast out demons in Luke 10. Also, Joy comes from a repentant sinner over Luke 15, where we're told it happens in heaven, or joy comes from receiving what you asked for in John 16, even realizing that a friend has not been killed in Acts chapter 12, or being able to see one again in 2 Timothy, or from someone else's love in the book of Philemon. And so these are just some among many examples of how joy can come from circumstances. You know, just like joy can come from combining uh, sticky date pudding, caramel sauce, and ice cream, because that is joy in a bowl right there. Amen? And now let me give you a bunch of verses that show you how joy is also independent of circumstances, that we don't need good things to happen in order to have it. Like in Psalm 51, joy is still there despite broken bones or despite tears in Psalm 126. It's there famously despite fig trees, vines and olives and fields not yielding in Habakkuk 3. Despite persecution in Matthew 5, despite trouble in 2 Corinthians Despite riding in chains from prison in Philippians, despite enduring a cross and despising its shame in Hebrews, and James, get this, even kicks off his letter telling us to consider it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. What a way to start a letter, amen? Amen. And so what does all of this mean? Well, it means that joy is something you cannot just have on some days, but on every day. It means that joy can be had not just on the good days, but also on the bad days. And if this isn't how we see it, then can I encourage us to consider changing our definition? Because In light of everything we've just seen on those two screens, our definition may not be biblical. Because the Bible says that while joy can come from circumstances, it isn't dependent on them. And so regardless of what hand you and I have been dealt this year, the Bible says we can still be joy-filled. And so now that we've unpacked it a little to have a better idea of what joy is, let's move on to why we need it, why joy is necessary for you and me, why it's not an optional extra. And I've got three reasons why it's necessary for you and me. And the first reason is, is because joy is something that God gives But Galatians 5 says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, along with other things, wonderful things like love and peace. In other words, joy is part of the survival kit that God gives every Christian to live for Jesus. This is why Nehemiah also says uh, famously again that the joy joy of the Lord is our strength. There you go. And he says that in chapter 8. And so joy is so much more than just a reason to smile. It is something that God uses to strengthen us with. Strengthens us with to survive, you know, it might be our school classroom or our schoolyard. It might be surviving uh, our uni degree. It could be our, our singleness or our marriage and parenting might be our workplace, or one that's becoming more and more of an issue, our struggle to make ends meet financially as the cost of living keeps going up and up and up. It might also help us uh, survive our grief, uh, our conflict, our mental illness, our disease, whatever it might be. You know, how many of us might be tempted to give up on one or more of those things right now because we just kind of feel just so worn down and, weak. and if giving up is where we feel that this thing is headed, have you ever thought maybe that is because we lack joy? Because if we lack joy, then we may not be listening what Nehemiah says, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if joy is something uh, that God gives us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we lack joy. Joy still, then we're missing the point. For if God supernaturally gives joy to every Christian, then we don't get to blame our situation. What side of the bed we got out of this morning. That's my one. You know, our personality type, how our day has been, our upbringing, or our disposition. Because if we are a follower of Jesus, then none of those things trump the third member of the Trinity and the fruit that he gives. For if it is divinely given to you, then it's something you and I can do if we choose. So that's the first reason joy is necessary, and here comes the second. It is something that God commands us to have. The Bible repeatedly commands us to rejoice. Uh, For instance, like the Apostle Paul commands us in Philippians 4, to rejoice in the Lord always, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Rejoice being the verb for joy. In other words, rejoice is how you do joy. And for the grammar nerds out there like me, both instances of rejoice in Philippians 4 is written in the imperative mood in the original language. Got any English teachers in the house? What does that mean? Well, what it means is, is that God is not asking us to have joy, he is telling us to have joy. It's not a full stop, it's an exclamation mark. And so get this, Is the real kicker if we are not joyful then technically it means you and I are in sin and a lot of believers you know we struggle or we find the thought of that a little ridiculous which is why I suspect Paul feels the need to repeat it in Philippians 4 again he says rejoice in the Lord always I'll say it again rejoice and so ask yourself why do you think that is? Why do you think out of all the commands that Paul gives throughout the New Testament, this is the only one that he feels the need to say again immediately? Could it be vision because he anticipates how much you and I would struggle with the thought of always having to rejoice? that in our negativity and in our pessimism, hearing it only once was never going to be enough. For we'd be tempted to read it as, don't rejoice in the Lord in any way or only some ways instead of always. But just imagine this, right? Just imagine, hypothetically speaking, if every time we weren't rejoicing, our leaders would roll out church discipline like they would for someone else caught in another sin, let's just say, adultery. You know, if that's what our leaders did, then the church of Jesus Christ would be in a crisis. And sometimes those up front in ministry, like me, are the most guilty of not being joyful. It reminds me of a couple of years back uh, when I took a wedding uh, for a young couple and the bride's dad, he was an atheist, so he wasn't particularly thrilled when he heard a Jesus loving preacher like me was going to do it. Anyway, the big day came and straight after the service, uh, I kid you not, the dad grabs me by the arm and he pulls me aside. Now, I've seen enough of those wedding movies to know, uh, to get ready to duck and weave, because the father of the bride's probably about to take a swing, but just when I thought his atheism was going to go all UFC on me, he pulls me aside to thank me, saying that he's relieved. So was I, but I was like, Why? And he said, you know, the fact that you're a Christian, it doesn't really bother me. He said, each to their own, I guess. He said, no, what bothers me is that you guys never seem to smile that much. You always tend to be so serious and negative when you're up front. And so I totally get, I'll never forget when he said this, I totally get why people would use you for funerals. But I cannot understand for the life of me why anyone would choose to use you for a wedding, which I was, why I wasn't thrilled when my daughter said she was going to use you to do it, but I could tell you were actually really happy to be here and to be part of it, and so thank you for helping her big day be a great day. Vision, isn't it sad when that's what we can be known for, you know? That even though we are loved beyond measure by an awesome God, the only time that some in the watching world might be expected to see a smile instead of a frown is if they were to turn guys like me upside down. And so let me ask you, when's the last time that you got up in the morning and gave thanks for the day ahead? Or when's the last time that you publicly gave thanks rather than complain? Now, when instead of complaining about having that teacher or having that kid in your class or the mark that your teacher gave you for an exam, that you just instead chose to rejoice for living in a time and a place unlike so many others where you get the opportunity to have an education and make something of your life. When's the last time, instead of complaining about Canberra's weather, you chose to rejoice instead for living in a city with the world's cleanest air, you know? (laughs) Apart from the pollen count, of course, hay fever sufferers, but you get my point. Or when's the last time, instead of complaining about our political leaders, you rejoice for living in a country where you don't get executed by them for having a different opinion? Or when's the last time you obeyed James 1-2, that you had to face a really hard trial and you did consider it all joy? And I realize that this is the heavy section of this message, but if you are struggling to think of the last time, like me, because it's been a few years now since I've taken that wedding, then together, you know, let's use this opportunity to repent of not rejoicing, of being joyless, so we're no longer in sin. Amen? For not only does the Holy Spirit give us the ability to have it, and failing to be joy-filled, mean that we are in sin. But the birth of Jesus, which is what we read in our Bible reading, gives us the third and the biggest reason to have joy. And so this leads me to this next point. What does joy have to do with the birth of Jesus? Because whenever the Bible refers to the first coming or the incarnation of Jesus, the word it uses more than any other is joy, And this happens long before it even gets to his actual birth, when the Old Testament looks ahead and refers to it. Uh, for instance, uh, a reading we usually pull out around Christmas time, uh, it's chapter 9 of Isaiah. Uh, one of the most famous prophecies predicting it, where Isaiah famously says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. So even though Isaiah wrote his prophecy in gloomy or joyless days, he prophetically sees that better days are coming. So why are they? Well, he continues in chapter 9 again. He prophetically sees, quote-unquote, increased joy and rejoicing. And why will all that joy and rejoicing happen? He continues, because a child, often known as a bundle of joy, will be born. And that which Isaiah predicts becomes reality 700 years later when Jesus is born that very first Christmas. And for then, it's like the New Testament. It can't even finish a sentence without the word joy being in there somewhere. Uh, I'll give you a few examples. In Luke 1, when the birth of John the Baptist is announced to his father, he is told that John will be a joy and a delight to him and many will rejoice because of him for he is the one who will prepare for the coming of Jesus later in that same chapter Luke 1 again John himself even leaps for joy get this while still inside Elizabeth his mother's womb who doesn't love that verse you know when Jesus mother Mary who's still pregnant walks in with him Then in Matthew 2, when the Magi or the wise men, they see the star that will lead them to the infant Jesus, the Bible records that they are, quote, unquote, overjoyed, which is kind of like joy on Red Bull or steroids, I guess, but that's what the ESV does with it. And then there's the shepherds in Luke 2 of our Bible reading, when the angel said to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for a saviour has been born, Christ the Lord. And so now do you see how joy has everything to do with the birth of Jesus, that his first coming has everything to do with joy, for it is when God finally did what the world had long been waiting for. When he finally came into the world, to be born into poverty, to live a perfect life and die in dishonor, to save us from our sin, our greatest problem, all because vision, that is how much all of you are loved by this God. And some of you may have had a rough year that hasn't inspired a whole lot of rejoicing, but if hearing that now doesn't lead to a joy response and something's wrong, Because if it doesn't, then it means, you know, somewhere we've lost our joy along the way. And in case it has been lost, this is where I want to get really practical in this talk. In our last point, how to be joy-filled, particularly how to find joy, again, if you've lost it somewhere along the way. And so let me start to land this plane now by giving you four things that will help you find it. And the first place is the most obvious, for it is to find joy in Jesus and the salvation he gives. And few books in the Bible will reveal why Jesus helps us with joy when finding it is otherwise difficult, more than the book of 1 Peter. For instance, in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, The apostle is writing to a bunch of people who have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And even though these people are suffering for all kinds of reasons, this is what he says to them, in all this you greatly rejoice. Probably not the first line I would have wrote. And as he continues, he not only says it again, but he even takes it to a whole nother level where they become so joy-filled, Peter writes, it becomes their joy inexpressible and glorious. Have you ever been hit with a wave of joy that was just so intense, you are unable to express it? You know, for me... Uh, one instance would have been hearing that my young niece was finally in remission. Or when uh, I got down on one knee and the beautiful woman, who is now my wife, she actually said yes. I mean, who would have guessed, eh, amen? If you're a betting man, you probably would have gone the other way. So have you ever had, you know, one of those moments uh, in life where you know, your joy, it just becomes so intense that even though your mouth is open, just no sound, no noise comes out, and so you just sort of cover it with your hands. And so let me bring it back to first Peter, because how is reaching that level of joy even possible in the context of suffering? In the context of suffering, all kinds of trials. Well, the Apostle Peter makes it clear in chapter 1 there. He says it is reached through believing in Jesus and the salvation he gives. So if ever any of us attempted to think, I can't rejoice in this season because the suffering and the grief from my trial is too big, then Peter begs to differ. Because the biggest grief in life is not knowing Jesus. Which is why believing in him to receive the salvation he gives helps you be joy-filled in any season, in anything, because being changed or saved by him changes everything. Even horrible realities like death. Which is why Jesus is the first place we should always go to find joy in. And the second is also, because of him for it is to find joy in your future. And the reason I mention your future is because this is where the Bible keeps telling us where to find it. It keeps saying the way that we still have joy when life is hard as the present is by looking up further ahead. And so let me give you a couple of verses to show you this Uh, in addition to the example that we just heard from in 1 Peter For instance, in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us to rejoice and be glad when we are, get this, insulted, persecuted, and falsely accused. And why? Because of our future. He says rejoice even even when those things are happening because great is your reward in heaven. Or elsewhere in Luke 10, when Jesus' disciples return with joy because the demons submit to them, Jesus says, don't rejoice even because of that, even because of what is happening in the present, even because evil spirits submit to you, but rejoice again because your names are written in heaven. In other words, even though my power is enabling you to do uh, some very cool things in the present, Still don't rejoice because of that, even that, but rejoice because of your future. And we even see finding joy from the future from Jesus himself, uh, famously in Hebrews 12, where we read this verse, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what was the joy set before him? There's different answers on this, but I would submit to you, it wasn't the cross. Which is why he got down on his knees, prayed for it to be taken away by God, and sweated out uh, drops of blood the night before. Now I'd submit that the joy set before him wasn't enduring the cross, it was the future beyond. As that verse says, it was the fact that he would rise again, sit down at the right hand of God in his throne room. And so, Vision, if finding joy is difficult, can I encourage you to try and just take a longer-term view of things? You know, because one of the ways that you find joy in the present is by being mindful of the amazing future that lies ahead, that our Lord Jesus has gone ahead of us to prepare. All right, third thing you can find joy in, one another. I'll say it again, it wasn't a sound check, you can find joy in one another. And the reason why I joke about this a little is because I remember someone almost falling off their chair in a conflict resolution meeting at another church when I mentioned this. You know, when I said, instead of you guys fighting with each other, you should be deriving joy from each other. And so before anyone falls off their chair here, let me give you some verses where I get this from. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, For what is our hope, our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And in case the Thessalonians were about to fall off their chairs, in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul says it again. There he says, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy? we have in the presence of our God because of you. And I've got more verses, but let me give you just one more from 2 John 1. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And so, Vision, if you are looking for things to find joy in, consider the search over. Because those things are quite literally sitting all around you right now. And so when's the last time that you just pause and just look at all these faces here and you thought the same thing as the Apostle Paul and John did, that these people are your joy. For like them, it gives you great joy to see them still walking in the truth. But even though many of them are young, it gives you older ones so much joy to still see them walking the narrow path unlike so many others their age that tend to drift off to the broad one that leads to destruction. Or even though some of them here are old like me, it gives the younger ones a subjective, right? I get it. It gives you younger ones great joy in the presence of God to still see the older ones not wave the white flag to COVID and give up. Because they are determined to finish the race that is set before them, not just for their own benefit, but so that to you younger ones, they can be a good example. And so if you are struggling to find joy, church, Find it in one another, just like Paul and John did. And this brings me to the fourth and final joy-finding thing, singing. And seeing as though this is the joy point I'm going to finish on, uh, it seems appropriate to invite the band perhaps back up if we're going to sing a song after this. And I was reminded of our need to find joy in singing with my time in the Lord this morning. For I read Psalm 100, it's a great psalm, a famous psalm. It's a psalm for giving grateful praise. And in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 100, it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. So when you sing to the Lord vision, don't just sing, period. Sing joyfully. And in a minute, after I pray, the band is going to enable us to do just that. Enable us to come before the Lord in joyful song. And so if you've come here this morning struggling to find joy because of stuff you're going through this week, can I encourage you to sing your hearts out in this next song as a way of finding it again in the one that this song, all songs will no doubt speak of, our Lord Jesus Christ let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you again for the wonderful reality of joy and that we can best find it in you and thank you for the blessing that we don't just get to sing songs to you now but joyful ones and may you use your word, your spirit, your songs to minister joy to our hearts. That you may use this moment to show us your son, what he has done, and the forgiveness and the freedom that he gives. And those the son has set free are free indeed, and of course, to be joy-filled. Amen. Amen.